How did we get here? The new law makes it a criminal offense to engage in so-called, quote, conversion therapy. Conversion therapy, quote, is defined as a practice, treatment, or service designed to, and I'm going to go through a few of these here, Number one, change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. Change a person's gender identity to cisgender. Change a person's expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to that person at birth. Repress or reduce a non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. Repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity, or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex at birth. Basically, the law criminalizes attempts to change someone, specifically to convert both homosexuals and those who have gender dysphoria, also called transgenderism. It applies to both adults and minors. Let that sink in for a moment. It becomes a felony criminal offense to try to change the way a child thinks or acts sexually. Parents no longer have a say-so. The law claims to be used to combat the ills of conversion therapy. We've all heard about them out there. Some practices involving behavior modification that have been considered harmful. But as one reporter points out, these laws are, quote, deceptively marketed as bans on coercive and abusive medical treatments, but in reality are meant to silence the gospel and stop the spread of Christianity. Let me say that again. Though they are pointing out outliers and ills, the purpose is to stop the spread of Christianity, to stop the gospel. The reporter goes on to say, quote, The language of C4, as the law is known, is so broad that it could apply to almost any context. If a pastor preaches a message from the pulpit about sexuality and the authorities interpret it as trying to convince someone not to be gay or trans... They could arrest him. The same is true with a teacher at a Christian school or a lay minister offering church counseling. Even if an individual wants to leave a gay or transgender lifestyle, any Christian, be it friend or family, advising them on how to do so would be breaking the law and could incur this felony status. With MacArthur's characteristic bluntness, he has stated C4 represents an attack on the Word of God. During the development of this bill, Justice Minister Lametti was questioned regarding the future legality for religious leaders to teach regarding biblical convictions on homosexuality. He replied, quote, Well, that's an open-ended question. An exploratory conversation is not prohibited for leaders, parents, and others. He continued, What is covered by the legislation are practices 
that attempt to change one's orientation, watch this, towards a predefined goal. So it's okay to have an exploratory conversation for which there is no predefined goal. But if there is a predefined goal, if there is any sort of convincing going on, authority going on, a contrary idea that is different than how you feel, that is considered coercion. But let's be clear. The gospel changes one's orientation towards a predefined goal. Amen? That's why it's called conversion. The gospel itself changes our direction. It changes our orientation. It is a turn from sin and self-worship to following Christ and growing in holiness. While it is clear that there have been abuses by those who adhere to, to merely behavior modification, we get that. The gospel itself is the ultimate conversion therapy. And we will not shy away from that. This is not an exploratory conversation on sexuality. The gospel has an agenda for your life. It is the ultimate conversion therapy. And this is an assault on the Word of God. So when Pastor James Coates reached out to Dr. MacArthur. James Coates, if you'll remember, was the same one who kept his church open during COVID and was arrested for it and spent time in jail for it. When he reached out to MacArthur and said, we feel like that the proper response to this sort of tyranny, this sort of assault on Jesus Christ and his church needs to be met with disobedience. Will you stand with me? MacArthur not only said yes, but he sent out the clarion call. And to that end, I heartily accept the call to preach on this subject. And just in case you think, well, this is Canada, right? Canada's always more liberal than us, right? You know those Canucks. It might be helpful to note that there are already 14 states in the U.S. with these kind of laws on the books. They're more limited. They're not as strong in scope, but 14 states are in process. And just in case you think that this is an outlier philosophically, the Democratic Party has made this a key part of their national platform. Look, this, the church is not a place for partisan politics. Let's be clear but we will call evil, evil. And I find it hard that anyone can cast their lot for that sort of party platform, even if you reside in a state that isn't dealing with it yet. It's coming. Look at Austin. But just in case you may be thinking, well, secretly, no one's going to say this, but it's okay. I'm not a pastor. I'll pray for my pastor. I'll support my pastor. Pastor, I'll visit you in jail. Uh, we have to realize that the key tenet of these laws, not just this one, but of these laws, is that any therapy that has a predefined goal, even a predefined goal of reducing sexual behavior, 
I don't want my adolescent engaging, even if it's not a moral issue, engaging in behaviors that are high risk, that's still criminalized. So whether you're a Bible study leader or just in life-on-life discipleship, you are equally vulnerable. The law went into effect this week. The time for our Canadian brethren to defy it is now. We stand with you. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, I pray that you would help me strike the right tone here this morning. I pray that I would not preach beyond what the Word of God says, nor minimize it in any way. I pray that we would embrace the robust bad news, that we would realize the reality, the degradation, the perverse nature of this sin, so that the sweet aroma of the gospel would be so overwhelming that it would melt our hearts. I pray that this would give us a love and a desire to actually reach out to individuals who are involved in this sort of sin, who are struggling with these sorts of temptations, that the gospel might be hopeful that the gospel might change lives, that it might achieve the predetermined goal of conversion, realizing that the acts described here are merely an overflow of a heart that is enslaved to sin, of which we have all been there. Father, we need You. We need Your direction here. We need the power of Your Word to surgically circumcise our hearts to shape us, to give us a clear understanding. So, Father, help us this morning. Strengthen us this morning. Illuminate us by the power of Your Spirit this morning. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Well, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. Paul is going to clearly address the issue of homosexuality and disordered sexual behavior. Now, this section is actually part of a larger section on the bad news that precedes the good news of the gospel, on the wrath of God but it helps to understand what is going on here. And so I'm going to read the previous section so that as we parachute in to our text today, we'll understand Paul's progression of thought. You can remain seated. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Verse 24, and this is our text today. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Circle that, if you will. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And though they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Our God is a God of love and mercy, but He is also a God of holiness and justice. Those attributes are not at cross-purposes, but in fact are truly complementary to the one true, all-holy, all-magnificent, all-powerful, all-sovereign, all-loving God. You cannot have mercy without justice. You cannot have righteousness without holiness. And the previous texts explain that God's wrath is revealed because man, all of us prior to coming to Christ, can look around and see creation and know in our heart of hearts, this didn't just happen. It takes far more faith to believe in Darwin. We all know there are no atheists, especially in foxholes, right? We look around and we say, I mean, did you see the sunrise this morning? It was amazing. That was not by accident. It was by fiat. It was by God's creation. And yet that common grace understanding is not enough to save, but it is enough to damn. For if we know there is a creator that has made this creation, we are his creation and therefore we are held accountable to God. Therefore, prior to coming to Christ, each and every one of us, in some form or fashion, suppresses the truth so that we will not be held accountable. If there is no God, or like other man-made religions, if God is not that holy, meaning no better than I am, therefore I am not held accountable to Him. 
The main thrust of idolatry is not that we actually believe those things are real. The main thrust of idolatry is that idols do not hold us accountable. Idols do not talk back to us. Idols do not make us feel guilty. And so this truth suppression shows itself in idolatry and man-made religions. And every religion out there, other than Christianity, is man basically saying, I'm pretty good, I can get better, and I can attain to a higher estate. Whereas Christianity, God's Word says, you are not. You are totally depraved. Because of Adam's fall and your own choice, you have shook your fist at God. And as a result, you have earned death before a holy God. And yet in this, this section today, we see that sometimes God's wrath is not just a future event, but that there are some societies, some cultures, some people that choose to embrace idolatry so much that they choose to embrace a vitriolic position against God so much that God has a present tense judgment to it. He gives them over. And that's what we're looking at today. What does God do with those who exchange the truth for a lie, worship the creature rather than the creator with such fervor? He gives them what they want. Though there is a very real future occurrence of judgment, there is also a present tense occurrence. There is also wrath manifested in the here and now for those who dive headlong into idolatry. We're going to call it the wrath of abandonment, if you're taking notes. And our timeless truth is those who trade the truth for a lie, very simple, need the gospel. Okay? And we want to remember that that is what drives this. This is not in any sense a pharisaical diatribe of I'm better than them because I don't commit those kind of sins. That's not what this is saying. There are different levels of sin, but every sin keeps us out of the presence of God. But there are those sins that encapsulate idolatry. And there are those times when God says you have push the edge of the envelope so much, I will give you what you want. Three points as we look at biblical sexuality. Number one, the cause. Two, the, the uh, consequences. And then three, the cure. The cause. Verse 24 again. Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would not be dishonored among them. There's a reason God gave them over. It says, therefore, and if you look back, two verses, verse 22, says something very similar. Professing to be, to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. God gives them over because there was a trade, and it was a bad trade. They bartered the truth for a lie. They didn't want the glory of God. They wanted the glory for themselves. And this explains how an exchange in belief 
watch this, results in a change or an exchange of affections. What we're going to see is that homosexuality, gender dysphoria, transgenderism is in fact the result of an exchange. Verse 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and served the creature rather than the creator. They traded the truth of God for a lie. We know, looking back now, how crazy that is. Who would trade a brand new Ferrari for a lime green 1976 Pinto that blew up if someone rear-ended it, right? No one would do this. But that's what idolatry is. It, is. it is trading jewels, precious metals, for junk. It is trading that which is valuable in and of itself for that which is a counterfeit. It's worthless. Now, idolatry takes many forms, from pantheism to materialism. Most of the green movement is some sort of westernized westernized version of pantheism. But it is this believing the lie, this exchange of the truth for a lie, that has a purpose. And we'll recognize it because we'll remember what it was like when we were unbelievers. Exchanging the truth for a lie, believing a lie, is so that, watch this, so that you can live like one. That's what we do. We choose to believe a lie so that we can live a lie. And that is the very foundation of where Paul is going. We don't really believe in those idols, but idols tell us what we want to hear, even if they don't speak. So think of verse 24 as a summary statement, that God's wrath in the presence is giving you what you want, and what you want is a lie. You want the lust of your hearts. And so God gives it to you. Does this sound a little bit like our culture today, of our over-sexualized, pornographic culture? It's almost like, well, we started well, you know, the kind of those, those, those memes, here's how it started, here's how it's going. Like, how did this happen? God is giving us what we want. And there are two consequences. Write down degrading passions and a depraved mind. Consequences. Our second point. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. We saw Him do this in verse 24. He does it again in verse 26. And He does it again in verse 28. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. You're like, well, what does that mean, gave them over? I like the way one commentator says it. God ceased to hold the boat as it was dragged by the current of the river. There is a restraining force that God has upon even His unbelieving creation. That we're not as bad as we could be. And by God's common grace, He keeps us from going headlong into what we want. It's kind of like, it's kind of like your kiddo that he really wants to run out in the middle of the street and get a ball. Or just be there. And you're like, no, 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 I've got to restrain you because if I give you what you want, you will kill yourself. You've heard me say that with Bo, our oldest son, for the first six years of his life, we were on suicide watch. 
He was a good kid. He was a sweet kid. He had no boundaries. And so we were constantly like, where'd he go? Where'd he go? Did you stop him? Did you tell him? You know, this restraining force. This restraining force. Now imagine if that restraining force was contradictory to the lusts of your hearts. It's basically when God removes His restraining grace and He lets people indulge in a full depth and consequences of their sin, and it affects them both now and in their future judgment. We've seen this giving over in Scripture, right? We're going through uh, the books of the Bible in our equipping hour class. In Exodus, what do we see with Pharaoh? Moses says, let my people go, that they may go into the wilderness to worship me. He says, who is this God you speak of? And his heart is hardened. And we see it over and over again. His heart is hardened. He hardens his heart. But do you know what it also says? It also says God hardens his heart. Pharaoh hardens his heart a total of ten times. Do you know how many times God also hardens his heart? Ten times. And be very, very, very careful of saying, well, that doesn't sound fair. Because I'll promise you, Pharaoh started with the hard heart. And God chose to be glorified by giving him what he wanted. Psalm 81.11 uses a similar phrase, but my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me, so I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. You want this? You want to play with fire? Well, then now here you go. Let me describe it this way. Pretend, pretend you've got a, a junkyard dog. And for some of you, this is not a stretch because I've seen your animals, okay? <laughs> and, and you know what a junkyard dog is like? Mangy, nasty, big, muscular mutt with, the, with the, the collar and the spikes, and he's chained up. He's always barking. Always barking. What does he want to do? Wants to chase cars. Wants to, just wants to chase cars. I'm not sure what he's going to do if he ever caught a car but he wants to chase cars. You have to keep him on the chain so he won't be a danger to himself or to others. Do you know what the wrath of abandonment is? Unhooking him from the chain. What is going to be the consequence of unhooking him from the chain? The Peterbilt will win. He will get what he wants and it will kill him. And then Paul gets specific about what these consequences, these degrading passions are. And it's kind of interesting as to what he starts with. Look at verse 26 again. For the women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. It's lesbianism. It's interesting that he starts out with the women. There's a lot of question about this. Why would Paul do this? Many theologians believe that this describes best how far the culture has sunk. Charles Hodge writes, Paul first refers to the degradation of females among the heathen because they are always the last to be affected in the decay of morals. 
and their corruption is therefore proof how far this society has sunk. Let's be honest. Homosexuality is nothing new. We have, we have lots of ancient Near Eastern cultures that engaged in this. So we, we know that the Greek and the Roman cultures engaged in this. But what we're seeing is when society then accepts it. It's not just the engagement of it. But when, when society accepts it, it's not just normative, but good. And when you start to see lesbianism even outpace male homosexuality in some cases, you realize how far we have sunk. Verse 27, And in the same way, also the men abandon the natural function of the woman and burn in their desire towards one another, men with men committing, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And this is what happens when a culture ceases to glorify God. Instead, desires to glorify self. Rather than loving God, you love self. Rather than worship God, you worship self. Worshiping self has its clearest expression in loving, craving, and worshiping you or someone that is just like you. You see the point I'm making? Homosexuality is the height of idolatry because you're not just worshiping self, you're gratifying self with someone like yourself. Tom Schreiner says it this way, just as idolatry is a violation and perversion of what God intended, so too homosexual relations are contrary to what God has planned when He created man and woman. When you exchange the truth for a lie, you will exchange the natural for the unnatural. God designed specifically marriage to be between one man and one woman. God specifically designed sex to work ontologically between people of the opposite sex. And I'm sure all the questions are popping up in your mind because everyone always does the what about the guy? Well, what about this? What about... So let's answer some of them. Well, is it genetic? In some sense, absolutely. There's no doubt that sin has corrupted the human race and that we are all broken as a result of the fall. But if you're asking me, do I believe, is there a gay gene? Of course not. In the same way, there's not a drug addict gene, a drunk gene, a murder gene. Yes, we are all thoroughly depraved, but I am not defined by my lusts. Now, are some people going to have a particular propensity towards certain sins? Sure. I don't have a problem with having a glass of wine with my dinner. I've got friends who won't even have one. Why? Because they know their propensity to drink too much. Does that mean they have the disease of alcoholism? No. No one's pinning them down and pouring a fifth down their throat. They may have particular temptations, but they are not bound by their lusts. We are in no way identified by what we want. And we are certainly in no way justified to act upon everything we want. 
Think about the craziness of that. You say, well, is it biological? Well, no question about it. Biology is involved in the same way biology is involved with heterosexual lust. When a man looks upon a woman and lusts after her, there's heart rate increase. There's vasoconstriction. Eyes dilate. Hormones rage. But that does not mean that because biology is responding to something I want, that it is therefore okay to act upon my desires. Think about it. We know that. As a result of the fall, men are broken. We desire, to be honest, to be polyamorous or polygamists. Does that mean it's okay to act upon that? Or do we have the ability, by the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, the gospel of God, to kill Romans 8.13, that sin, and to say, no, I committed my life by God's grace to one woman, one wife, one life. Amen? Ray Bolt's quote-unquote Christian singer about nine years ago decided to leave his wife and four children to go hang out in gay bars in South Florida. Many Christian singers, uh, and certainly the world, applauded him for acting upon his true self. Do you think his wife and children applauded him? Do you think they thought that was right for him to act out his true feelings? We are not animals. We have to realize that, that what is being sold here philosophically is that we are allowed to identify by our sexual dictates. It is a foreign atheistic concept. Carl Truman has written a book, uh, I think it's called The Rise of Modern Self, and he talks about the philosophies that have led to this, the Darwinism, the Freudianism, and how it has become just accepted. Why? Because to not accept it makes you an outlier in society now. But I think we know that to be true to our feelings doesn't work in any other area of society. Why would we say it works here? But let me, let me, let me play devil's advocate if I might. Let's, let's say that some of these things are involved, genetic or biology or whatever else. Frankly, the Bible doesn't care how much because the Bible calls all sex outside of marriage and especially homosexual relations as disordered or perverted. All of it is sin. All of it is forbidden. All of it is against God's design. And yet the church has lost that. We've lost the ability to even stand up and say, yes, if you're a believer, by the power and grace of God, you can date a woman and not sleep with her before marriage. You can marry someone and not have relations outside of marriage. You can choose not to look at pornography. We must take responsibility for our sin and quit pretending that our identity is decided by our lusts. Believing I am an NBA basketball star as a short white man does not make me an NBA basketball star, no matter how much I really want to dunk. Well, but I identify as an NBA basketball star. How's that working for you? It's not. 
Look, I, I'm, I'm being polemic here, and I'm going to be polemic for the next five minutes for a reason. It's not meant to be a rah-rah, <clears throat> rah-rah, you know, shake the pom-poms. It's meant to, to have us feel the gravity of this because I'm going to come behind it. I'm going to give us the hope in a minute. If you do not feel the gravity of this sin, and I'm going to be very specific, because of someone you know, because of a brother, sister, uncle, mom, dad, whatever, then you're minimizing the way God sees it. That's not only dishonoring to God, robbing Him glory, it's unloving to that person because you don't realize the danger they're in. And you're saying it's really not that bad. And so endure for a moment or two the polemic nature because the Bible's polemic about this. This law that is put before these Canadians that is coming our way is serious. It forces society to trade the truth for a lie, whether they ever act upon homosexuality or not. It, it forces us to believe something that is not true. Let me put it this way. There is no such thing as a transgender person. There is no Caitlyn Jenner, okay? There's a Bruce Jenner in drag who can run 100 meters in 10 seconds. But that is not a woman. I don't care how much lipstick he wears. And we're lying to ourselves. And it's not only dishonoring to God, frankly, it's unloving to Bruce Jenner. If I could just put a name to it. How many people could care less about a Bruce Jenner? Certainly his wife, certainly his kids, certainly those in his, in his circle of friends. He still has XY chromosomes. Certainly his circumstances are real. His sinful nature, his own brokenness. I do not know the history of his life. I don't know how he's been done wrong. I don't know the consequences of other people's sin. But I do know this. They do not determine his biology. And God created him a man. Bruce doesn't need a sex change, a boyfriend, or a therapist. Bruce needs the gospel. And frankly, just a side note here, I'm shocked. I don't expect every pastor to fall in line with what John MacArthur says. I get that. But I can't for the life of me. No way, no why, not every church in the U.S. is not doing something about this this Sunday. Because what it tells us is like, it's not at my front door yet. Not that big a deal to me. But if you're a Christian, you need to realize this will handcuff the gospel. Not just handcuff your pastor. It will silence the gospel. Our only hope. Let me give you another story. You know, our president nominated Admiral Rachel Levine as the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services recently. Rachel, who's not Rachel, it's Richard, okay, is a man. A friend of mine used to work with him when he used to shave and wore pants. Richard had gender reassignment surgery, which is a nice way of saying doctors amputated body parts and administered hormone blockers to him. Now, he is celebrated. He is elevated. Do you think he's really a four-star admiral? 
Do you think he really deserves to be in this position? No, but we want to celebrate the lie. Because if I can celebrate his lie, then guess what? I get to embrace the same lie. No one holds me accountable. This law in Canada says that it is okay to do this to children. I want us to feel the weight of this. If you don't care about the adult you know, component of this, think about your children. This law now says you can't try to convince your children otherwise. You cannot tell your child, no, you cannot have gender reassignment surgery because the government's going to pay for it and override your will. Dr. Rand Paul asked him point blank at his confirmation hearings, saying that given the majority, that the majority of children grow out of gender dysphoria, I want to read to you the statistic, according to prospective studies, the majority of children, and by the way, this is Wikipedia, okay, diagnosed with gender dysphoria cease to desire to be the other sex by puberty, with most growing up to identify with most growing, growing up to no longer identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. If they were just left alone, they grow out of it. You know what the percentage is when it says majority? Wikipedia doesn't like to put it there. 94%. 94%. So Dr. Rand Paul asked Richard Levine, will you at the very least say that our federal government should not allow children to make this decision, should not allow children to be given hormone blockers, should not allow children to undergo gender reassignment surgery until they are adults. Would you at least say that? And he would not. And then Dr. Paul told a story, which is just gut-wrenching. A story of Kyra Bell, who at 14 was confused sexually. And so she got on the internet and started to learn about transsexual ideas. She then on her own began taking cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, and had her breasts removed. She's now 23. And she writes, I made a brash decision as a teenager, as a lot of teenagers do, trying to find confidence and happiness, except now, for the rest of my life, will be negatively affected. The medicalized gender transitioning was a very temporary, superficial fix for a very complex identity issue. This is not a Christian writing this. This is just a young girl. These laws that are coming our way say that they should make that decision, not you as parents. Say that the government should influence how they think, not the church. There comes a time when we stand up to tyranny, and the time is now. And what these Canadian pastors are doing, which is right, is they're saying, come at me. The government's saying, we're going to file criminal charges, we're going to put you in jail. They're saying, bring it on. It reminds me of the old story where they had a bunch of soldiers that were in POW camp, and they said, you need to tell us who the Jews are tomorrow. You remember that story? And the next morning, they all stood up and they said, we're all Jews. Come get us. We have become soft as Christians. 
under this guise of somehow it feels compassionate, it's actually protectionism. The gospel is bold. The gospel is like a lion. Let it out of its cage. Let it do its work. And as we read Romans 1, there is no soft-selling it. Sexual immorality, specifically homosexuality, is the direct result of God's abandonment when people die headlong into idolatry. And God gives them over. Before we go on to our our last point, I, I want to address the same-sex marriage issue. Because we can't just talk about homosexuality without talking about it in light of biblical sexuality. Same-sex marriage, frankly, is an oxymoron. It's like saying that father and son brothers does not exist. You cannot redefine what God has defined. No culture, no society has ever tried to do it. It would be one thing if our society just said, heck, we're going to indulge in homosexuality. We know it's a sin. We don't care what God thinks. That's a different story, okay? But when you take bad and make it good and good and make it bad, now you've gone too far. And God gives them over. Genesis 2.24 is clear. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Number two, it's a violation of natural law. Not only does it not benefit society as you have 100% sterility, in case someone hasn't figured that out yet, but the body was not designed to have this kind of sexual relations. Doctors don't want to say that, but it's clear. It legalizes and it legitimizes immorality. Sex then exists purely for selfish reasons. Number three, it's a violation of the family. In every case, you don't have a father and a mother. That should be enough right now to say this is bad for society. And bottom line, and most importantly, it's highly offensive to God. If male and female were created for a purpose, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, this fails on both counts. Here's the point of this. The reason I'm so heavy on this I don't want to be like a Westboro Baptist. I will never hold signs. God hates homosexuals. That's wrong. That's sinful. It's the gospel that saves. Someone gets the gospel right, the sins fade away. That's the point here. Don't take the gospel from us. The people who need the gospel. In fact, I would say the people who need the gospel the most because God has God has given them over. Don't take away the life-saving medicine. And, and then don't tell me it's compassionate by taking it away. Those of you who have family members who identify as homosexuals, do you have real compassion for them? Do you have real compassion to risk your relationship with them by taking the gospel to them. If you don't, you don't love them. You love yourself. If there is no righteous judge, then there is no need for righteousness. All sins keep us out of heaven. 
But God gave us one Savior to take care of them all. Who did the Lord use to write a majority of the New Testament? Paul. Paul was a murderer. Can you imagine if the government said, you can no longer take the gospel to a habitual murderer? It would be crazy. Saul of Tarshish needed the gospel. And remember, he's writing the book of Romans from Corinth. That's like the very San Francisco of the Roman Empire. In fact, let me read to you because this brings it into perspective. This is where the hope starts to come through. And it's like, it's like the background string instruments of a symphony that start to get louder and louder. Okay? 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's kind of what we've been through so far here. Do you realize how serious this is? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And if you're a Westboro Baptist guy, you're like, yeah, they all should go to hell. Well, it's like, well, so should you, okay? But Paul didn't stop there. Do you know what the very next verse is? After all that list of, of horrible sins, such were some of you. He's writing to the Corinthian church. Such were some of you. Some of you are homosexuals. Some of you are effeminate. Some of you are covetous. Some of you are drunkards. But you were washed. And you were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Spirit of our God. Oh my goodness. Like bring the worship team up. He not only saved them, but He gave them the grace to be victorious over their former lusts and over their present temptations. He not only saved them for eternity, the Holy Spirit He gave them works in them to produce holiness in them so that their former lusts are killed and their present temptations are daily put to death. By God's grace. Such were some of you. Can we say such were some of us? Amen? When sinners get saved, former drunks have power over the temptation of alcohol. Formerly angry individuals have power over their temper. Former individuals who have engaged in unbiblical sexuality, unnatural or otherwise, have the power to defeat sin, live for Christ. We are not defined by our lusts, by our genetics, by our biology or circumstances. And our old desires are replaced with new ones. Grace, grace. What? God's grace, grace. Sing it with me. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace. God's grace, what? Grace that is greater than all of our sin. Don't tell me I can't say that. Especially to someone who needs it, because guess what? Someone said it to me. And someone said it to you. 
And by God's grace, we're here today because someone loved us enough to risk. And so we risk. Verse 28. Paul gives us a total of 21 vices after this. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, he gave them over to a depraved mind. And I think the purpose of this, the first five are lusts of the heart that then flow outward into sins of the hands. And if the first giving them over is to degrading passions, the second is over to a depraved heart. Sin in private is not private at all. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. Thomas Watson said, sin puts gravel in our bread and wormwood in our cup. The concept of what people do behind closed doors doesn't affect them is a bunch of hooey. In the same way, your private porn addiction or your private drug abuse affects others. There's a clear progression from the heart outward. I encourage you to read it for your homework. But the the theological cause and effect is this. If you love God, you will love others. But if you don't love God, you will love self, and you will eventually hate others. Look at verse 32. Write down the words, loud and proud. And although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, They not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. That's the United States right there. That's your gay pride parade. That's your nightly news. That's that's, that's your Twitter feed where people are affirming you for celebrating evil. Knowing full well what God disapproves, right has become wrong, and wrong has become right, and we live in an upside-down world. Who would have ever thought that we would lose the Boy Scouts? What does sex, much less gay sex, have to do with my 10-year-old boy hunting and fishing? Are we that sick of a society? Yes, because God has given us over. And the primary example of giving us over is the idolatry of loving self, homosexuality. Now here's, here's the crazy switch here from from good being considered bad and bad being considered good, many churches have now punted the truth of the Bible and exchanged it for a lie. LGBT-affirming Christian denominations, quote, are those that do not consider homosexuality or transgenderism to be sins. You think that's an outlier? These include Disciples of Christ, Evangelical Anglican Church in America, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, Episcopal Church in the United States, Presbyterian Church USA, and the United Church of Christ, and quite a few Methodist churches. There's a few holdouts, but what does it tell you when a society, the very pulpits of truth, now say this this doesn't mean what you've been told. This doesn't mean what it says. They've not only traded the truth for a lie, they now proclaim the lie as truth. 
You know, I preached this in, in 2013, nine years ago. I want to read you a few of the statements I made then, which are scary. Quote, it will be a criminal offense in the very near future to call homosexuality a sin. Quote, biblical sexuality is the watershed issue by which the church will be vilified in the next five years. I was off a few. I will assure you, quote, churches that are ambivalent on this issue will be ambivalent on the gospel, inerrancy, and the authority of Scripture. And the last one, quote, we don't come back from this as a country. We're done. So what's the cure? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. If you're here today, let me explain the gospel to you. And you know what I love being able to do this? Why I love it? Because all of those here who are believers never get tired of hearing it, right? God, man, Christ response. God, our holy creator, sovereign, good God, created the world and all that is in it. But man rejected God, shook his fist, rebelled, and became a traitor. And when Adam sinned, we all sinned. And the wages of that sin is death. Say it with me. But God, being rich in his mercy with the great love with which he loved us, made us alive. How did he do it? He sent his own son to live the life that we could not live and die in our place on the cross. All God requires from us is to bow the knee in faith and repentance. That's what I want anyone, homosexuals, transgenders, liars, thieves, those of us with bad attitude, all of us to hear, if you're not a believer, there is hope, but it's not in you getting better, it's not in behavior modification. Hey, I'll agree with you. There's a lot of conversion therapy that's worthless. This is not. <laughs> this is the one that works. It's the gospel. So let me leave us with the practical. Number one, we need to realize that our friends and family who have jumped headlong into this particular sin, whether they're actually doing it or agreeing with it, that they're storing up judgment for themselves. And this should give us a greater desire, a greater urgency to build relationships and to bring them the gospel. To be deliberate. The moorings have been cut. They have been loosened. They are running headlong and the bridge is out. How serious are you about getting the gospel to them? Let me take it a step further. What if your family was in Canada now? Would you be willing to get in your car, drive up there, and say, give me a lunch, give me a day with you? Would you be willing to risk it? Because it is only the gospel that saves. Two, we need to walk with and encourage those repentant sinners who struggle with disordered attraction or have come from a homosexual lifestyle. We need to help them learn the power of the gospel, feed them the word of God, walk with them in accountability, and teach them how to kill this sin. And yes, this is also the sin of same-sex attraction. We're not going to sanitize that. Any disordered uh, desire, any disordered lust, 
is automatically a sin, and especially dwelling on it. And all this is being sanitized or minimized by the evangelical community. It's, it's embracing a practical Arminianism. Well, if I can get the homosexual community to like me, maybe they'll like Jesus. I'll promise you they won't. I'm not saying that we need to be offensive. We don't need to be an additional offense to the gospel. But we don't need to draw near and understand. We need to say, no, you come out. Such were some of you. Were, past tense. And number three, we need to realize how great the grace of God is in our own lives. And I think that is helpful. As Christians, let me leave us with this. As Christians, do you ever contemplate and remember your former estate? That you were on the broad road to destruction. You were going to hell. You had earned that wage of death. God was gracious enough to have someone bring you the gospel. We need to remember. Remember our former state. So you might want to write down, such were some of you. I was that person. And so we stand. Amen? We stand. We stand without compromising God's glory, without minimizing the offense to God's glory, calling sin, sin. But we're also saying, come. Come to the foot of the cross where there is no sin that is beyond forgiveness. And grace can wash away any of that sin. And grace can lead you home.